I was supposed to drive the last van of survivors to the zone, and Dawn pulled me off. She wanted someone she could really trust, and she put Tyler on instead. These, these people are going to all be evacuated. I was really pissed. I saw them out there. Stuck out there, melted to the asphalt. And all I could think was, it would have been me. Would have been me, he saved my life. He's been out there the whole time. Like he's a part of the street. Some screwed up, endless joke. And there's nothing I can do about it. So let me help you. This week on the Sound of Sight Walking Dead podcast, we're talking about Season 5, Episode 7, Crossed, written by Seth Hoffman, directed by Billy Gearhart. We'll be back right after this. Welcome to the Sound On Sight Walking Dead podcast. This is Kate Kalsik, TV editor of SoundOnSight.org, and I'm joined as ever by my wonderful co-host, our editor-in-chief, Mr. Ricky D. Ricky, how's it going? Uh, I'm okay. How about you? I'm do- you know what? I'm just glad that I haven't gotten another transitional weather cold. So I'm just, I'm happy. And it's American Thanksgiving this week, which is one of the best holidays ever. So I'm very excited. Uh, you see, here in Montreal, it is November, and we have summer temperatures. And you know what's funny is we don't like we celebrate Thanksgiving a month earlier, but I have like five days off next week. Well, this week. Very exciting. So, it's like we still take the time off. <laughs> um, well, wh- this week we'll be talking about episode episode seven of season five, Crossed. And here to help us break it down from Screen Rant, it's Kevin Yeoman. Kevin, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. And how are you in, in this fine week? Are are you getting time off for Thanksgiving? Time off for Thanksgiving, uh, and and that's about it. But uh, uh, yeah, just excited to um, you know celebrate the holiday and and probably overeat and and embarrass myself. That sounds about right. That's Thanksgiving, right? Isn't that right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> this week on the podcast, we're talking about uh, episode seven, so it's the penultimate episode of this half of the season, Crossed. And uh, as we always say on the Sound Outside Walking Dead podcast, this episode will only discuss what's happened so far on the TV show, as well as anything that's happened previously on the TV show that has also happened in the comics. There might be some compare and contrast, but there will be no spoilers from the future of the comics here and no spoilers there there aren't even screeners for the next episode uh amc is keeping everything really locked down um i haven't even read the comics uh ricky you've read have you read any more of the comics have you powered through more of it uh no well the next issue i think it's released in two weeks but i'm up to date you're up to date oh look at Mm -hmm. that um and kevin how about you what's your relationship with the walking dead comics you know reading the comics i think i stopped right around the time when the uh the group met up with the governor so i'm uh, i'm i'm way off <laughs> well what did you think of this episode this penultimate episode of the season and how do you feel like it fits in with what the season's been doing so far well you know to be honest with you i actually really liked the episode i thought it was actually really solid um for basically just being a setup for the mid-season finale um but it presented all that kind of table setting in a way that made it seem like uh, the various parts were all moving really well together. Um, something significant was uh, on the horizon and, and it just kind of felt like the characters were really getting things done, even though they were really just, I guess, treading water for about an hour. What about you, Ricky? Um, yeah, I like the episode. It's my least favorite of the season so far, but again, it's been a really strong season. Um, this episode cuts back and forth between four groups of people in four different locations in order to set up the big mid-season finale. And I think that it's a wise decision to check back on some of the key players like Rick Michonne, Carl, et cetera, et cetera. But it just feels like it's too much for one episode. And it feels like a filler transitional episode. So it's a lot of table setting. So there, I mean, I mean, I personally like 
when The Walking Dead focuses on one group in one location, and here it just feels like there's too many characters to follow in too many different places, and the end result feels somewhat disjointed. All that said, I still do enjoy the episode, and um, I think it succeeds in moving the chess pieces forward into the necessary places for next week's, what I'm assuming is going to be next week's big dramatic showdown. But I don't know, it just lacks the tension, the suspense, the urgency... Um, even like the action is limited here in this episode. So there's a lot of dialogue, uh, but I don't know. It just, to me, it's my least favorite, but again, my least favorite of what is shaping up to be like the best season of the series so far. The reaction I've seen online has all been really positive for this episode. And it could just be the bubble that I'm in, the people that I talk to, but most people that I've you know seen reactions and tweets from and stuff have been Kevin more in your camp. I'm going to be the Debbie Downer this week and say that I didn't particularly enjoy this episode. I didn't dislike it, but I wasn't engaged by it the way that I have been for the rest of the season. So I don't know, Ricky, if that falls in line with what you were saying, or I, mm-hmm. I feel like I might even be a little more negative on it than you are. Um, and, and for me, what it comes down to is not necessarily splitting the action between the four groups, though maybe that is, you know, we do on the San Jose Walking Dead podcast, we do like our, our bottle episodes. Um, but, but because it, this episode falls immediately after what we got last week with Carol and Daryl, um, and, and which was an episode that had a lot of really nice character beats, but spent a lot of time on information we should have already been able to figure out and we didn't really need to see. There were several sequences like that in last week's episode. And so it felt like a an interesting and well-executed and well-performed filler episode. But, you know, aside from some really significant character moments um, through the episode, it didn't feel like it really earned its running time, at least for me. It felt kind of fillery. And so to have this episode immediately after that one really, to me, highlighted that this is a this is every single group that we follow is in, waiting. They're all you know poised because the show knows that next week is the the mid season finale. And if you're gonna cut between four different groups, having all of them in the same poised waiting you know position doesn't necessarily work for me. Or at least I guess it didn't work for me here. Um, am I just being overly picky, Kevin? No, actually, I think that you make a lot of really good points about um, the episode does. I mean, when you finish the episode, it really does feel like it's entirely reliant on whatever is going to happen next week. Um, and there is just a lot of characters just kind of wandering around and, and explaining things to each other. But it, at the same time, I also think that it was a really solid episode for uh, a lot of stuff that it was that it was missing. I mean, it could have been much worse in terms of the the exposition i i felt uh extremely relieved that the episode didn't waste time by having daryl catch everybody up on what happened um i feel like even just like a season ago one third of the episode would have been taken up by daryl's explanation of where he'd been and where carol was and who this kid was and then the rest of the episode would have been taken up with rick asking noah the the famous three questions so i guess in that sense i'm relieved that it didn't do that but but I definitely get where you're you're coming from. Hmm. What do you think, Ricky? Yeah, I think I think I agree with you, Kate. I just think I enjoyed it more. Um, I think the biggest and most obvious change of season five is how the show has found ways to improve its character base and make the entire ensemble interesting and engaging to watch. And for me, this is really an episode that focuses heavily on Sasha. So I would have loved to have seen more of Sasha and less of Abraham, Glenn, Maggie, because, I mean, even last week when we were talking on the podcast, we really didn't think that they would actually cut back to the Abraham, Glenn, Maggie, Tara and Eugene storyline, because for us, it felt like that was a mid-season like finale end you know what i mean like there was no real need to cut back to abraham kneeling on the ground for an entire hour so like the episode begins and we get to rejoin sasha and tyrese at the church and she's like going nuts like chopping down the um what is it like the uh the pew from the the church the the organ the organ right She's, she's, she's like taking the axe to the organ repeatedly and it's clear that she is still suffering from the loss of Bob, but also because of her inability to stab himself, uh, not to stab himself, to stab him in the head when he turned into a walker. And so I like the way the episode begins with Sasha and ends with Sasha. That said, I wasn't really big on the ending because 
Now, the thing is, it's a rookie mistake. What she made is a rookie mistake. And sometimes it's hard for us as viewers to swallow rookie mistakes because these people have survived the zombie apocalypse for like five years now. So they should know better. Right. But for me, it still somehow works because the character Bob that they meet later on, like Don's cop, he actually convinced me that he was a good guy. So if he convinced me, a viewer, that he was actually good, I can understand him convincing Sasha that he is probably a good guy. I just didn't need his name to be Bob. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, but I do like the way it still somewhat ties up Sasha in the very last scene, but it doesn't really even really feel like a good cliffhanger. Like, basically, he escapes, but I don't know. I don't know. It just... I'm mixed. Like, I do like this episode, but I just feel like they just made some strange decisions. Like, last week, we talked about Carol's rookie mistake, right? When she doesn't check what's behind the door and starts climbing through the doorway. And, of course, Noah's on the other side of the door and he steals the guns. And this week, she's making a rookie mistake. So maybe it's just because they are tired and so much has happened to these characters over the past five years. So eventually they're going to make mistakes. But back to back, I don't know about that. Well, I also think in this situation, you know, I believe her making a, a mistake like this because she's in such an emotional state and she's not on her A-game. That's clear throughout the episode. And having his name be Bob ties into that, I think, and you know, prompts her to make more of a connection or allows her to be more easily manipulated um, especially because it seems like Bob is a, a good guy. And, you know, as we've said on the podcast, uh, the, you know, our Bob was the, the most positive, optimistic, happiest person on the show. So, you know, I can understand that connection. I don't know that I, I don't necessarily like the handling, uh, you know, the execution, I guess, of that. It was just so for, you know, with the, you know, her just not even looking over her shoulder and leaving him right there. It's, it was very, uh, foreshadowed, I guess. It was just really blatant what was going to happen next. And so that was a little groan worthy for me then when it does the, you know, I mean, so I think it to me is a fault in the execution. However, I think that he, I think he's, he's a good guy. I think that he was telling the truth personally. Uh, we have no basis, no way to know, but I, th- I like to think he was telling the truth and he also saw an opportunity and took it. Uh, Kevin, what do you think? You know, I uh, I thought that some of the, the Bob stuff was a little heavy-handed. Um, him talking to Rick about being a police officer was um, maybe a little too telegraphed. Uh, but all, all in all, I really did like. I mean, I mean, it's it's Chris Amador from the Americans, so of course I like uh, the actor's name is what Maximiliano Hernandez. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's right. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm a big kind of him from the Americans, so I was just. Maybe I was a little too pleased to see him in there, and I thought that he did a great job. I, I agree with you guys saying that he did a great job of um, convincing me that he was a good guy, that he he had good intentions. And so um, even though you kind of see it coming once uh, Sasha turns her back on him, um, you know, I guess for the most part I, I, I bought it, other than his some of his interaction with Rick early on just felt a little too heavy-handed, but... All in all, I, I want to believe Sergeant Bob is a good guy, and and uh, and I, I enjoyed the the actor being on there. It's nice to see that uh, the the Walking Dead isn't just casting exclusively from The Wire, so mm-hmm. that's a that's a plus. If the next place they cast from, if they want that to be the Americans, I am all on board. I would love to see Annette Mahandru show up here. That would yes. be fantastic. Same here. They already had Noah Emmerich, so so they're they're ahead of the game. Boom. You, you know what the best scene in this episode is um i think it's the scene in which sasha accidentally rips her shirt and it's actually bob's shirt so she's wearing bob's shirt at the beginning of the episode and she tears the shirt and she has like an emotional breakdown and the first time i watched yet this episode i watched it twice i didn't even realize that she was wearing bob's shirt so i thought that maybe she thought that she had got bit but it's not because she thought she got bit it's because she tore bob's t-shirt and i don't know just i just like that little detail <laughs> i was gonna say that Kind of bled into a nice moment between her and uh, and her brother. I thought that uh, sometimes the show has a hard time um, doling out those those moments of uh, of genuine emotion. And and I think that uh, having Chad Coleman uh, talk to uh, Sonequa Martin Green in the way that he did, it actually felt like uh, a brother and sister conversation. And it uh, it kind of paid tribute to Bob in a way that I don't think the show's really had time to to do. Mm-hmm. So um, so I appreciated that. But what I really like about this episode, too, is Sasha's arc, like her journey, really only lasts like about one episode. 
technically two episodes if you want to count like some of the end shots of uh, what was it the episode when Bob dies. But I mean, basically, when the episode starts, like she's a completely different person to where she's at when the episode ends. Like when the episode starts. Uh, she doesn't want to think about Bob. She doesn't want to think about the fact that she couldn't stab him in the head when he turned into a walker. And then somehow by the end of the episode, she's willing to trust this man who she meets for the very first time. And I kind of like like the fact that they didn't feel the need to stretch it out over like three or four episodes or over the whole entire season like they did in the past with a guy like Rick Grimes, for example. And it's it's important for these characters to still retain some kind of like hope and trust like they still have to trust people to some extent and it's just too bad that for the first time she actually decides to trust someone and of course the person ends up basically attacking her but the thing is i think you're right kate i i don't think he's actually a bad guy i think if anything he is probably going to go back to grady hospital and somehow end up helping rick grimes and his people like maybe he's headed back because he wants to save some of his friends because he does have friends over at the hospital so i don't and i think also he left her unharmed i mean yeah he knocked her out but it's not like you know he tied her up or shot her in the head like you know he did what he had to do to escape yeah there's a difference between um you know somebody like the uh the group that we saw daryl fall in with uh however briefly uh last season and what happens here? Yeah, he doesn't kill her. He, he, she's defenseless. He could do any number. Of, he could he kill her and take, you know, find a way to get uncuff himself or whatever or untie himself and then take her gun. That would theoretically make sense as a defensive thing to do. Or, you know, he they they did attack first. Rick's group did attack him first as far as he's concerned. Uh, but he doesn't do that. And so, yeah, you could trust that everything's going to turn out a-okay with this hostage negotiation and that somebody won't get an itchy trigger finger and have it all go to hell. Or you could, you know, run away. And he's a cop. Of course he's going to try to take his opening. I um, I actually agree. I think that, uh, that uh, the fact that he didn't um, intend to hurt her any further than he already did by knocking her knocking her out or, or, or make, rendering her unconscious uh, kind of says speaks volumes about... Uh, what his intentions actually are. And I think that he's just responding to an actual threat. Um, he doesn't know these people and he's not entirely convinced that they are as uh, forthcoming as, as, um, as maybe he's been in regards to Dawn. So um, I think that, it, again, maybe a season ago, this, this situation would have felt completely ridiculous or at least very telegraphed and and right now it's uh it sort of feels like bob is sort of up in the air and and i think we saw a lot from dawn that is uh a little bit up in the air with regard to how she um dealt with beth so so there's kind of more there the show is exploring more um than just the plain black and white that maybe it has in the in the in the past and i i think that's a good start for um moving on into the uh the second part of the season even just moving to the season mid-season finale with you know, somebody like Bob who doesn't just you know get an evil grin on his face and then and then kill Sasha but does what he has to do to escape and leaves her alive is you know that is a level of good on this show this is you know, he he falls into the good camp of the people who are left as far as I'm concerned and he's one of the people at the hospital and with Dawn like you said Kevin helping out this week and doing you know what she can, what she feels she can, at least, to, to help Carol, that puts her more in the good camp as well. So that that adds nuance and shading to the group at the hospital, which I think is pre- pretty important, especially when we've seen, you know, going into this midseason finale, that, that is, especially when we've seen Rick increasingly going for the more violent um, and ruthless option um, and then being talked back by other people in the group over the past few weeks. Uh, I think it's important to, to show some nuance in this this hospital group and make that decision a little more murky next week. But but you know when Dawn shows her own spark of humanity, I'm not really entirely entirely sure how to read that scene because I'm not sure if she's still testing Beth. Like I'm not sure if she's just really a good person who's stuck in a really tricky situation. Like maybe you know she means well but somehow everything spiraled out of control like i'm not entirely sure like what's happening there because she's sort of helping carol but there's still no um like 
the, the chances are slim. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's there's not a very good chance that Carol's actually going to survive. And she doesn't even know if Beth is going to be able to get the drugs that Carol needs or figure out a way to nurse Carol back to health. So I'm not entirely sure what to make of Dawn, but I really think that Dawn is going to become a key player. Like, I think whatever happens at Grady's hospital, like whatever happens next week or, to, or the episode afterwards, I think that Dawn is going to survive. And I think they're going to find a way to incorporate her into the group. Um, before we move away from Atlanta, I also want to talk about Daryl for a second. I think I've said this many, many times before in the past. And I think maybe now the showrunners actually believe this too, but Rick Grimes is not a good leader. And, you know, like in this episode, we get to see Tyrese make a decision or pitch an idea, which is far better than an idea that Rick Grimes has in which he just basically wants to sneak and attack, which could lead to a lot of bloodshed. Whereas Tyrese decides that maybe they should try kidnapping two of the cops and, you know, making a trade-off, right? And of course, Daryl steps in and he's like, no, we should do what Tyrese says because I agree with Tyrese and not you, Rick Grimes. Because, like, I don't know, it's just like, I just feel like Rick Grimes, like, I know he's the protagonist, he's like the center of the show, but to me, at this point, he's like the least interesting character and he's like, he makes for like the worst leader. Like, I think Carol, Beth, Daryl, Therese, Abraham, like Eugene, I think I think most of the people in the in, in the group here of survivors would make better leaders than Rick Grimes at this point. Well, that's also because they haven't been put in that position. So they haven't had the opportunity to screw up at it either. So, I mean, it seems like some of these other people would be better in that role. But look what happened with Daryl as soon as his brother came back on the scene. He seems like he's maybe more of a better uh, beta, you know, as, as a support for the main guy, the guy behind the guy, as opposed to straight up leader. He, there's a reason he's never stepped into that role, even when Rick was being the farmer, you know, I, I, I just tend to shy away from the notion that the other people would necessarily be a better leader or that the show would allow them to be a better leader. There's a bit of Buffy syndrome here, meaning the protagonist, the, the chosen one hero who gets saddled with all the speeches. Yeah. Um, and that that's a kind of a recurring thing on a lot of different genre shows. And I don't, I, mean, I guess I'm not surprised that it's been such an issue for the walking dead. Yeah. I think that it's kind of interesting the way that Rick has been depicted this season. And I think that it's, it's sort of a double-edged sword given that it, on one hand, Rick is being incisive that his decisions always seem to be leading to more and more bloodshed. Like um, what was the, the, the guy from Terminus that he slaughtered at the end of uh, Four Walls and a Roof? Gareth. Um, and thank you. Yeah. So I think that um, it's interesting to see this sort of transition in Rick. And it's more interesting to see other people reacting to him. I, I thought that uh, that was a really good point about um, Rick's plan, which involved just, you know, he just kind of unequivocally states that, well, he'll slit somebody's throat. And then Tyrese and Daryl sort of step in and, and suggest maybe a less potentially violent situation. And um, again, I think it's it's nice to see how the show didn't, feel it was necessary to write in an argument scene where it just uh it then just kind of cuts to um showing everybody going along with the uh the different plan and and rick is going along with it so rick is becoming a little bit more fluid of a character he's also making some more decisions he's not wandering around shaking his head and kind of wondering is he a good man or not he's he's uh he's making whatever decision he thinks is right in the moment and for better or worse, it's it's kind of making him uh, a little bit more interesting of a character. And it's it's opening up the writing to exploring more options, I think. So that's a good thing. I still feel like it's somewhat inconsistent. Like we t we've talked about this in the past and it's not as bad as it used to be. But like last week, or was it last week or whenever it was um, when like you mentioned that Rick Grimes basically walks into the church and he starts butchering like Gareth and his men. Okay, I know Gareth and his men were cannibals and they ate Bob's leg. I can kind of buy it. But in this episode, when he puts the gun to the cop's head, I think the cop's name is LaCary, he's he he he's thinking about killing him. And Daryl's the one who has to step in and be the voice of reason. And so the thing is like I don't know what to make of Rick Grimes. Like sometimes I think he's a straight up killer and sometimes I think he's not and he's actually a good person. Like it just seems inconsistent the writing of his character still. It depends on whether that's a meant to be a struggle within the character and a progression or 
dependent on the episode. And I would say, at least right now, it feels like it's a struggle within the character to me. It's, it's something that the there's a an angel and a demon on his shoulder, maybe. Uh, you know, his different experiences telling him that he needs to go for the final solution or the the surety of just killing this extra um, interloper or potential problem for them. And the whatever's left of his humanity and may, maybe the positive influence of Little Ass Kicker saying, no, don't kill him. You know, that's what I'm seeing happening right now, especially within the group as a whole as well mm-hmm. with this, with the increased hope of the, the Eugene storyline until, you know, that got that all got blown up um and some of these other things that we've been seeing you know with uh i just keep thinking of him as carver uh the priest uh gabriel uh with gabriel as well and his his struggle about if he's gonna kill the the walker in this episode and you know all uh, him struggling with the group for me it has been it felt inconsistent in the past this season it does feel like an intentional struggle mm-hmm. you know um <laughs> It's funny because we're we're still talking about the group over in Atlanta, but I still have one more thing to say about the Atlanta group. I really love the sequence in which Daryl rips off a zombie's head and uses it like a bowling ball to <laughs> attack the, the cop. And again, I think the cop's name's Lacaria. I can't be sure. But he attacks the cop with the skull of the zombie. I thought that was one of the best close call moments yet because it's not that I actually thought that they would kill Daryl because he's a superstar. But yet I did. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. So I love that sequence. I loved how we got to see all of those burnt bodies melted to the sidewalk, like to the pavement. Like that was disgusting. And also we, we've had mention of the fact that the military bombed Atlanta in the past. And we also saw it, I think it was way back in season two, when we get the flashback and I think it's Shane and Lori and they're in the car and they're, they're driving away from the big city and they see the planes fly over the big city and they start bombing the city. But we haven't really seen much of the aftermath, despite the fact that we returned to Atlanta like three or four episodes ago. So it's nice to see the effect on the city. And I also, again, I mentioned this last week. I love the fact that they're opening up the world. Like now we get to see Atlanta. We get a group heading to Washington. We get Michonne. Uh, Carl and Gabriel over at the church by the countryside. So there's like many locations. And I like the fact that they're opening up the world of the walking dead. For an episode that was kind of light on uh, action. I have to agree with you that whole sequence with, um, with Daryl and the cop and the, uh, the bowling, bowling balling of the, uh, the, the Walker head. That was actually fantastic. I really thought it was just nice to see that the show is five seasons in and it's still taking uh, the kind of effort to to make distinct looking zombies and uh, or, or walkers and and um, and that uh, that whole kind of minefield that everybody was walking through of of, uh, of semi melted bodies was was just a really nice touch and it just little things like that that uh, this episode really relied on more than others um, so far this season and it just kind of elevated. Um, what could have been sort of a, a, a rudimentary action sequence into something that was a little bit more unique and a little bit more uh, viscerally exciting. You know what's funny is apparently they cut back on the budget, but yet for me, the special effects have gotten better and better over the years. And like, yeah, they always find new creative ways to create these action sequences and kill zombies and kill people. I mean, we can mention the zombie in the well back in, I think it was like season two. And then we can think of like the zombies raining from the ceiling. I think it was that was like in season four. And you can go all the way back to Bicycle Girl, who's still the most iconic zombie of the series yet. But they always find new creative ways to to surprise us each and every week. Yeah, the effects are certainly fantastic here. The the visual effect, the special effects, I should say, and uh, makeup and all of that, as well as um, that. Yeah, that sequence does really work. <laughs> you mentioned uh, Ricky that you, you know that pretty sure the show's not going to kill Daryl, um, and yet the the sequence still worked. That was the struggle I had with the Abraham sequence that we got, where he's you know is is she going to shoot him? Is he want to die? Is he was is he going to move? It's like I know that Michael Cudlitz isn't going anywhere because the show is smart enough to not completely waste Michael Cudlitz. At least at this point, I think it is. And so, um, or in Abraham, there's too much potential conflict and story arc to have him just shut down or not be back to normal pretty quickly. So that there was no suspense for me in that sequence. I also didn't believe that they were going to off Eugene again there's too much potential story there um so so there while that 
you know, I I know air quotes that the show's not going to kill Daryl. That sequence still worked for me, and yet the sequence that we got with the group on the road to Washington, um, at least that portion of it, really didn't because of those same reasons. So, so wait, you had a problem with the fact that Abraham spends a whole entire episode on his knees? That's crazy. I just. <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> I'm just joking. What is, what is, what am I watching? What is this here for? <laughs> and I, you know, and I read some of the reviews and for a lot of people that was a really effective, when he reaches and takes the water, that's a really effective moment and really powerful moment for them. Whereas for me, it was like, oh, okay. He's thirsty. He's <laughs> now he's good. It's like, I know this is supposed to be significant and maybe I'm a bad fan for not, you know, or viewer for not engaging with it more but i did i i will say i did really like what we got with tara and rosita she got more lines of dialogue guys and they both felt like people again i think they're doing good work with that with those two yeah i really enjoyed that whole fishing sequence um i'm not it it, it was just one of those uh tangents that really didn't have anything to do with the uh, the plot of the episode but then again the whole glenn tara rosita thing wasn't really tying into the the stuff back in Atlanta anyway. So they were kind of free to do whatever they wanted. And I'm, it was nice to see them do something that felt productive. And it, it felt like a, a, a logical portion of what it means to, to survive and just seeing the, the characters kind of react to seeing fish and something that they can eat and, and go after that in the way that they did and kind of just a little bit of joy uh, for what is basically a, an incredibly bleak, series it's just it kind of lets the lets some air in every now and then lets the show breathe a little bit and so those moments tend to mean a little bit more uh especially now that we're five seasons in and we're starting to get more of them and they're starting to do them a little bit better so uh so that moment worked really well for me i also really liked uh, the water filter that we see rosita put together and you know the fact that she says eugene taught me how to do this earlier in the episode um there's conversation between some of the characters of yeah he doesn't really have any useful skills and he only had one card to play so he played it but that little bit of dialogue that 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 water filter shows no eugene has plenty of skills that are applicable he just doesn't realize he has them or doesn't value them because nobody else knew how to make a water filter i wonder if great m was trending yesterday on twitter like i like the fact that it's the acronym she comes up with just because she marks the bottles uh-huh. with like the letter of their first name, which is kind of cool. But I do appreciate her odd, awkward sense of humor in this episode. And I think it actually becomes her group's most valuable weapon or defense in some ways, because along the way, like Glenn is kind of annoyed by the fact that she's cracking jokes. But by the end of the episode, she kind of wins over Rosita and Glenn. And I think she gets them to somehow focus on the chores that they need to do, like find food, find water, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, yeah, like, going back to Eugene, we talked about this last week. Like, Eugene's not going anywhere anytime soon, guys. Like, he's, it's, it's, he's, like, the best character to develop because he has no idea how to survive a zombie apocalypse. But yet, he's smarter than everyone else. So, clearly, he has a lot to teach them, and they have a lot to teach him. So, I don't expect Eugene to go anywhere anytime soon. In fact, I expect Eugene to be, like, the MVP next season or the season after. It sort of feels like Eugene and um, and Abraham are sort of a, a package deal. So uh, I, I really wouldn't want to uh, see either of them go anywhere until at least until they they work a little bit more on resolving uh, the issue of, of Eugene's deceit um, that kind of spurred Abraham on to uh, to not take his life and and give him a little bit of purpose. So. I mean, I, I really want to see that get developed some more and, and see where that goes to a conclusion. And then then the show can do whatever they want with them. I kind of feel like it's resolved. I mean, Tara pretty much states that, you know, we, can you blame the guy? Like he, he uses the one skill he has in order to survive. And even if it's lying, it's lying. It's, his sin is no greater than the sins that some of the other people have committed in, since the zombie apocalypse broke out. So I don't know. I really like Eugene's character. I'm hoping they keep him around. He's a great actor. He also provides a lot of humor. And in this episode, we do get a bit of backstory for Rosita. It's not much, but it's it's still something. Well, and Eugene is, you know, that humor. I've talked about it previously on, on the podcast. That is a really key element for me. This is a show that has needed it and has benefited tremendously from that bit of hope and, and levity that has come with this Abraham and Eugene arc, as well as this week with Tara and with some of his other characters. Uh, so that is, can't be, 
understated as far as can't be overstated, I should say, as far as these things go. But also, I mean, just compare Eugene, who feels like he doesn't have anything to contribute and doesn't know how to fight. And so therefore, he's just a burden to the group with Gabriel. And the difference is Eugene might not really know how to fight and might be feel like he's just dragging down the group and isn't contributing anything. We have to watch Gabriel continue to struggle with the same um, horror and can I kill someone that most of those people are already dead at this point of the zombie apocalypse because they've already been weeded out. And we've seen plenty of characters on this show struggle with that in the earlier seasons of the show. Am I alone in just being tired of that story beat? No, not at all. It's uh, I, I agree with you entirely that it's it's just something that we've seen uh, time and time again for four complete seasons. And so I would I was I'm really hoping that uh, Father Gabriel turns into something a little bit more interesting. But right now, having him uh, being more concerned with uh, with his um, the morality of, of his his past actions and uh, kind of wondering, you know, is he going to get this blood off of his hands uh, and how he can do it. Um, it, Maybe they'll find a way to, uh, to make that interesting, but right now it does feel like it's kind of uh, one of the, the the more stalled aspects of the season. Yeah. He's the season's biggest question mark. And uh, I'm kind of worried about what they're going to do with his character. Like I, I do like the idea of him mentally falling apart as his church is falling apart. Like they're tearing down the church and he's sort of falling apart inside. And I like the fact that he's going nuts and he's trying to scrub the blood away from the floorboards. But I mean, why does he run out of the church? Like what exactly is he trying to do? I mean, this is a man who's afraid of walkers. He's afraid of like, almost everything and yet he decides to run away it just didn't make any sense and i know again he's having like a mental breakdown but like what is he trying to achieve i think he just needed to get away from what he saw as the perversion of his church of his the house of god his holy place that he dedicated his life to i mean i think that's completely understandable however Mm -hmm. on a plot point i think he also I was just groaning watching him lift up the floorboards because I really just I really hope they're not going to have walkers sneak in through there. And there's the blood from the nail that goes into his foot. I don't know if that's supposed to be some Christ symbolism with the nail through the foot thing or if it's just supposed to start a blood trail that will lead the walkers to there and then cause them to come in through that open, unsecured floor and then threaten the group you know the baby and and carl and uh and michelle next week that was what initially came to mind and i just i really hope that's not what happens next week wow do you really think that the zombies can crawl under the church and then find a way to get into the church like it just they don't seem as smart as you know you make you give them credit to be like i just can't see it happening yeah i don't know that they're smart enough to do that i think the show would contrive to have them do that though i don't wouldn't put it past the show to have something like that happen i guess yeah i'll be honest that was uh the whole nail through the uh the foot thing was my first uh take on it was that it was he was just going to basically be leaving a little breadcrumbs for the uh for the zombies to to get back into the house and considering he left them a, a, a wide opening although you do make a good point i don't know as we've ever seen zombies stoop to uh (laughs) to get into a small opening before but uh but yeah you know first thing for or first time for everything i suppose Mm -hmm. well even if they even if they can't make it under uh the floorboards i guess they can still sort of like surround the church and maybe somehow break through the doorway like i'm not entirely sure how strong it is but I mean, yeah, you got Michelle and Carl and a baby, and someone's going to have to hold and take care of the baby. So technically, you'll you'll have like one warrior against God knows how many zombies. It's kind of scary, but I, you know what? Um, I still do not think that anybody is going to die this half of season five. Like, I think next week, yeah, we might see a big action-packed showdown, but. I mean, can you honestly think of one person they can actually kill at this point in time? Like they, they can't kill Beth. They just went through so much trouble to get her back. They're not going to kill Carol because she's like in a coma. You know what I mean? So they're not going to kill her when she's like already half dead. They're not going to kill Daryl because he's the show MVP. They're not going to kill Eugene, Abraham, Maggie, Tara, or Glenn because they're nowhere near Grady's hospital. They're not going to kill Sasha nor Tyrese because Sasha and Tyrese recently lost Karen and Bob. So 
it doesn't make any sense to kill them. Uh, who's left? They're not going to kill Rick Grimes because he's the central character of the show. They're not going to kill Carl because Carl has to be in the show to the very end, I think. I think him and Rick Grimes are going to be there to the very end. And I, there's no way in hell they're killing the baby and Michonne. I mean, they've had their chance to kill the baby, and they they decided not to kill the baby. So who's left? That's yeah, a good point. I, yeah, I don't think they're gonna. I don't. I would. They could. They always could. But I would be surprised if they uh, were to kill anyone. And uh, it, it did just occur to me because um, I was about to ask, when do you guys think Morgan will come into play? Because I feel like we're gonna have to see him at the mid-season finale, or it would be very odd to have shown him in the season premiere. Um, and I think a perfect time for him to show up is when either Michonne or Carl is completely screwed, surrounded by walkers and then out of the woods steps Morgan to be a bamf. Yeah. I was thinking the exact same thing. Yeah. If Morgan comes back, he's going to come back to save Judith, Carl and Michonne. Cause he's nowhere near Atlanta and he's not anywhere near Washington. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if next week we get to see Morgan. And then of course, Carl knows Morgan, right? Yeah. Does Carl know Morgan? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. From Clear. Yeah. Yeah. As does Michonne. Okay. Yeah. So that makes sense then that that's the group where he's at. Um, do we have any other uh, predictions or, or thoughts on these different on these different groups? Do we want to say anything about about Beth? I really liked what she did this week. I liked the little strawberries thing. That was fun. Mm-hmm. It's funny how strawberries is how you bribe. Uh, people who work in the hospital as opposed to like say cigarettes like it's like the best currency <laughs> those looked delicious i gotta say i don't know where she got those from but those looked like really tasty strawberries yeah those were some really fresh strawberries that uh, the hospital must have some sort of nice uh nice little greenhouse action going um yeah no i i enjoyed that uh again it was one of those things where it just sort of felt like the show was trusting the audience to kind of get what what uh what beth was doing and uh, just that that quick shot to um, the strawberries going into that guy's hands and him just uh, Im- immediately responding. It uh, it didn't really require any any extra or additional uh, needless dialogue. And, and um, it's just one of those things, again, just a, a tiny little switch that the, the show seems to be doing, that it's been doing a lot this season. That sort of makes it seem like uh, the show is just kind of getting a little bit smarter and, and, and trusting the audience to, to pick up on tiny things a little bit more so they don't have to completely underline everything. <laughs> well, it was very much a penultimate episode. It was very much getting, you know, moving the pieces, getting them in line. So what do you guys think was going to happen with, for example, it seems pretty clear what's going to happen with the, the church and with, um, the the hospital with the Atlanta group, there's going to be some sort of a conflict. You know, that seems, those seem pretty straightforward. I'm not sure what's next for Abraham's group. Do they head back to the cabin now that, that Eugene is awake? Sorry, the church. I'm not even entirely sure what they are doing. I mean, okay. The fire truck is out of gas, right? It's out of water. It's out of water and gas, I believe. Okay. Like I think, like they can't move forward, so they got to move back. I, I think I don't know. I, I have no idea what they're going to do with the, that group. I mean, eventually, eventually they're going to have to reunite with Rick and the gang. But remember, there was that small sort of like suburb or part of the city in which they found shelter and they found the fire truck and there was apparently like some stores that they can find like props and things that they can need to survive. I wouldn't be surprised if they go back there, but they're eventually going to have to, I guess, think about heading back to the church. Um, but I'm not sure. I mean, because the thing is, like, I guess what I'm wondering is, um, like, they were hoping or assuming that Rick and the rest of them would eventually meet up with them at Washington. So is it like one big highway and only one highway, only one route that they can take to get to Washington? So they just assume that eventually Rick will will, will catch up? That's a really good question. Like, I'm not I'm not familiar with the geography in the U.S., so. I'm sure there are many ways you can get between Atlanta and DC, but I mean, yeah. Do they, whether they go for figure that they should go and head to DC and meet up with them there, or if they should try to, you know, whether it would be a waste of time to double back or not. I mean, that could also depend if they're out of gas, how long it would take them to find another car. You know, it could, I think it could really go either way. Uh, Kevin, where do you think, they might be going well you know i think that uh whatever they do having them wait uh on on rick and the gang might be uh that would be sort of a step in the in 
a step backwards that the show probably shouldn't be doing. So I would be fine with them doing uh, either attempting to make their way further toward Washington, D.C., or um, I know that it felt like that bookstore that they stayed in uh, during that episode that was all about them uh, might come back into play. Um, I'm not sure if they're going to be able to develop anything uh, terribly interesting out of that, but uh, but getting them moving at least in, in one direction or another, uh, hopefully not uh, not waiting on uh, on Rick and, and everybody else coming back. So um, right now that uh, that sort of feels like a big question mark. But um, but I hope that they they get them moving at least in some direction before the uh, before the, the start of the next season or the next half of the season. All in all, I think it's uh, it was you know a nice setup for uh, for hopefully what will be a, a, a big mid season finale. But um, but other than that, I I've been really enjoying this season. Um, so wherever it goes, I'll, I'll I'll it's strange to be excited about where where The Walking Dead is. <laughs> Does anybody know when the spinoff show begins? I'm not sure. I'd have to look it up. Okay. I don't know what information there is out about that. Do we even know any casting? I think they they released some character descriptions a while back, but I don't think I've heard any casting for it yet. So I, that would imply it's going to be a while still. Okay. Right. Yeah. They just uh, they only announced what the director and uh, and like you said the casting. Who's the, the director? Uh, the, the character. That Wait, is a good question. Hmm. Okay. Anyhow, we'll see what happens with the with the spinoff. But as far as this, you know, the finale next week, mid season finale, and the season. I mean, this has definitely got to be the longest stretch of successful episodes of The Walking Dead. So I'm looking forward to the mid season finale in a way I would not have predicted uh, even half a year ago. Um, thank you, Kevin, so much for coming on the podcast this week. Where can our listeners find you and your work online? Uh, I am. Uh, I, I work at uh, ScreenRant.com, uh, I, where I review the The Walking Dead and several other um, television programs. So uh, come check us out if if uh, if you'd like. And Ricky, um, you can find me on Twitter, Sound on Site, and like us on Facebook and follow us on Tumblr. And I do have a final question for you both: um, If you can choose one character to keep alive, like a character who's died in the past, but you can somehow go back in time and rewrite the episode so that character is still alive, who would you choose? That is a really good question. The only one that immediately comes to mind... Can you um, guess T-Dog? <laughs> no, you know what? No, not T-Dog. Uh, oddly enough, I think I would want Merle back. Hmm. Interesting. Kate? No one really comes to mind, and so I'm thinking that that well, you know what? <laughs> they this show uh, absolutely wasted uh, an actor I enjoy, and I've been waiting to get another interesting role. That's Enver Gilkash. So I guess I would have them have him not die in this stupid governor arc he was in, so that he could be a part of. He was the brother of the guy that. Brian kills and it's a whole thing. Uh, I guess I would have that that character not die so that Ember Gilkash could be on the show doing something interesting. As the show got better and the got more character focused, it would be nice to see him on my TV every week. So I guess I'll say that guy. <laughs> Shows you how little I care about most of the people who have died on the show. Maybe Dale. I liked Dale, right? He was fun. Yeah, Herschel. Okay. But I mean, I feel like Herschel's story had really, I don't know what new they were going to do with him. Yeah, no, not Herschel. What about you? Um, I can't remember his name, Milton, the character of Milton. But I think Eugene is basically the replacement of Milton to some degree. But the only the difference between Milton and Eugene is that Milton was actually a doctor. But I think Milton and Eugene are two characters who aren't necessarily like strong warriors. Like you can't imagine these characters going out and killing like eight zombies and saving someone's life. But they come in handy when, say, trying to filter water or build a water filtering uh, thing in Majig. And, you know, they, they can come in handy in in different ways so uh, a character like milton but again we have eugene so i'm not entirely sure I, I really do miss andrea like she drove me nuts but i miss just talking about her <laughs> so yeah fair enough uh well i guess i we dig a little bit of detail. i look forward to listening to hearing what our listeners have to say about about this so let us know listeners which uh character you would have undie 
um, or I don't know how we want to phrase that. Um, you can find me on Twitter at the Televerse. You can find my writing at Sound on Sight and also at the AV Club. And you can, of course, listen to me talk about the rest of TV on the weekly TV podcast that I do, that I co-host over with Simon Howell at Sound on Sight, uh, the Televerse. Um, and again, I've already said it, but Kevin, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Next week, we'll be back to talk about the mid-season finale, Coda, written by Angela Kang and directed by Ernest Dickerson. So until then, thank you very much. We'll be back next week. So you just build a water filter in about two minutes, huh? Eugene taught me. Takes a while, but it'll be clear. Then we can boil it. Were you with Abraham before it all happened? No. No, I was with other people, just trying to make it. How'd you wind up together? We crossed paths in Dallas. Me and my group, we were fighting off some dead ones. And he jumped in from out of nowhere with that big truck. Rest in peace. He had Eugene in the cab, and afterwards he told me that he was trying to save the world. And that he saw what I could do. And he wanted my help. He was the first person to ask me for that since this all started. Maybe he was lying too. Parla